The 10th Collective is an initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design created to help connect black designers searching for their next opportunity with the companies that want to hire them. So if you're a black designer and you're looking for a new job, go to the10thcollective.com to sign up for free or check out the link in the show notes. Speaking of jobs, Revision Path's job board is now part of the 10th Collective, and you can go there to browse job listings, post your own jobs, and sign up for email updates when new job listings are posted. This week on the job board, Old Dominion University is looking for an assistant professor in design, tenure track, in Norfolk, Virginia. For more information on this listing, including its DEI statement, qualifications, salary, and more, visit revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. We're here to help you find your next big opportunity today. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Before we jump into this week's interview, I just want to take some time and talk about one of our sponsors, Hover. Of course, as you know, it's the start of a new year and you might have something new that you want to launch, like an art project or a podcast or your own website. Whatever it is that you're passionate about and you want to build it online, Hover has got your back. You know, everything online begins with a domain name and Hover makes the process of choosing and using your domain name a piece of cake. I've had my domain name. Oh, my God. Now that I'm thinking about it, I've had my domain name for 20 years 20 years. I got it May of 2003 when I graduated college. Didn't get it from Hover, but you can get yours from Hover. And the best part about it is that if you get started today with Hover by going to hover.com forward slash revision path, you can get 10% off your first purchase. For 10 years, Revision Path has been dedicated to showcasing black designers and creatives from all over the world. And in order to keep bringing you the content that you love, we need your support now more than ever. Visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and click the donate button there to make a one-time, monthly, or annual donation to help keep Revision Path running strong. Thanks for your support. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Chris Charles. Chris is a visual artist, creative director, and photographer located in Durham, North Carolina. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hey, first, thank you for having me, Maurice. Really been digging the platform since I've been introduced to it. So, you know, once again, thank you for having me, man. My name is Chris Charles. I am a photographer, creative director, designer. I just try to bundle it all up into a, um, as a creative designer or art director. Okay. How are things going so far? I know it's, you know, just the start of the new year, but how are things going for you? Yeah, you know, so far, so good. I, mean, I, was, very, I was very intentional about taking some time off you know, leading into the new year so I can kind of, you know, rest a little bit and spend time with family. So thankful I have been able to get that time in and spend time with the kids and, and the fam. But uh, yeah, so far, so good. It's kind of taken me a, a day or so to still kind of get into the uh, the flow again of work and, you know, like consistently checking emails and communicating again. But yeah, yeah I'm ready to get it popping. Yeah, I told myself this year that I'm going to start turning my phone off one day of the week. So like I'll turn it off Saturday night, turn it back on Monday morning. And I tried that actually a few days ago, just so people know we're recording this at like the top of the year. But I, I did it over New Year's. It was so peaceful. That Sunday was so extremely peaceful. Monday was super productive. And I mean, it was so peaceful that I didn't remember to turn my phone on until Monday like afternoon or evening. Uh-oh. And I turned it on. And I mean, the flood of notifications people were like are you all right is everything i was like i'm fine i just turned my phone off for like 36 hours like it's good the world can wait yeah you know you're much better than me that i i so i have you know measures implemented to where i'm not like my phone isn't as as invasive as i know people have all the alerts on you know the lock screen thing and so what i've done is I, i turned off notifications on my lock screen for one, that mm. kills the battery, right? I don't keep my phone on silent with the exception of few key, a few key numbers. 
you know, my mom, my partner, you know, my daughter, people who like they will need to get to me. And I, you know, just in case something happens. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can just turn my phone off. So I think for me, it's like easier to just have it readily available so people can reach me in the event that you know, of an emergency. But kudos to you, man. I, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. Well, it's an, it's an experiment. I just tried it once. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we'll see to, if, it, if it sticks. I'd have to send a mass email or text message to everyone to like let them know, hey, I'm out the loop. I'm not communicating for X amount of time. So don't expect a response. But if you, in the event of emergency, call this other number. I, yeah. like I have to have an emergency contact person in place just for that. But I might end up doing that, too, because certainly I, I turn my phone back on. And I mean, I got and I guess the way that my phone is set up, too, I can get like text messages on my computer. I can get some notifications, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't on my phone. And yeah. so I still was able to do some things. I just couldn't like or didn't like respond back to people right away and stuff. But let's just say I'm paying for that today. I'm I'm having to do a lot of catch up today. But that Sunday was so peaceful. I was like, I'm doing this again. I can't stress how like no pings or nothing. That whole Sunday, I like cooked breakfast. I listened to some jazz. I was chill Mm -hmm. all Sunday. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want that feeling every week. So I'm going to try to see if I can stick to it. Yeah, I think you can do it. it. (laughs) When you look back at last year, what do you want to change bringing into this year? You mentioned like taking some time for rest. Yeah, I'm part Jamaican, so I don't know any other thing than to work all the time. Right? (laughs) You know, running my business, but also working another job across town, and I, I just left that that job before the new year. Just you know, just because it just didn't make sense commuting that far several times a week. But yeah, I think for me, working smarter, not harder for for 2023. I think 2022, and most of my career, I spent a lot of it doing all of the heavy lifting. I've had assistants in the past who like help manage communications and emails. And I've worked with, you know, tons of, um, you know, young artists who volunteer their time. And some I've actually mentored and was able to get them going with their businesses. But I think it's time to build a team, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, I think it's time to start delegating versus me being the lead communicator, the lead invoice generator, and the lead key artist on set, and then the key editor. It becomes like time is so much more important to me, I'm realizing, especially now that I have a, a young baby, six months old. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. His name is Cerulean Amir, and he's amazing. But yeah, like I think moving into 2023, I definitely want to facilitate me being more you know, present. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the way these knees are set up, you know, doing all the, 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 the squatting and getting all the angles, I would rather be able to kind of guide that process yeah. through other people who are, you know, under the umbrella of my business. So I hear that's you. the goal. Well, let's talk more about your work in your studio, Chris Charles Co., which you've ran now for 15 years. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Tell me a little bit more about it. So ultimately, and it's kind of, you know, plays into like the vision for, for this year and moving forward. I've always kind of been a multidisciplinary artist. I mean, uh, like with roots in obviously photography, design, music, you know, I do, I produce music as well and work with, you know, a few artists. And yeah, I, I've always felt that, you know, like the three words that I've, I've used to encompass my businesses are style, creativity, and soul. And for me, that's kind of like the type of person, like when it comes to aesthetic that I kind of always wanted to be, even when I was a kid, I just wanted to be cool, you know, and that being influenced by music and jazz and seeing like how cool those people were. I always wanted to kind of have whatever business I ran encompass those kind of things, you know, just like a cool energy, a cool vibe, some fly music going on, some fly art, whatever it is. So yeah, I think my business, while i also focused on being trying to strive to be technically proficient, but it, it was also about creating a vibe or a feeling to the point where, you know, whatever I put out in the universe via the internet, it's a reflection of those three things, style, creativity, and soul. So I've just kind of just ran with it and it seems to have helped me find my voice over these years. So that's pretty much like be it design, photography, music, filmmaking. Those are the things that I, I, I kind of really pushed to, to have come to the forefront. So, like, given all of that, what are the best types of of clients for you to work with? I know you mentioned musicians, but are there other types of clients that you find you work best with? 
Honestly, you know, I, I work just other artists in general, be they musicians, visual artists. I've worked with other photographers doing portraits and collaborating with them, painters, and also like high level business people. For some reason, it's more like a, wow, this person is amazing. I can learn so much from them. And they hired me to do this work. You know what I mean? So it's like it's feeding my desire to learn more and have goals based off of what I'm seeing this person has done. And I'm actually, you know, doing what I love to do while learning. So, yeah, I would say anyone in the arts, like I said, high level business people, you know, I've worked with district court judges. I've worked with mayors, mayoral candidates, city council people, attorneys, high end real estate folks. And all of these people, you know, have great, great lessons. Mm-hmm. That, I, you know, that, that I can pull from to use at some point in my business. So this is great. I love that. So given like that variety, how do you approach like creating a, a new project or working on a new design project? Because I would imagine with each of those types of clients, it's the setup might be a little different, I'm guessing. Yeah. Like one thing I used to struggle with, well, I won't say I struggled with it, but one thing I had to really understand was find a way to maintain whatever vision or artistic integrity I had while still fulfilling my client's needs. And sometimes those things don't always align, you know, and I've had to kind of adapt and adjust in order to facilitate my client being happy and just doing the work. But yeah, I think for me, I just like to assume that people who have hired me, it's not like sight unseen, like they've seen examples of my work and they've seen or other people who I've worked with and they're like, hey, I want that. Unfortunately, I've had some clients who have not, like, whatever I do, whatever they want was the opposite. So that, I think, has been a big challenge over the years. But ultimately, yeah, it's just about adapting and adjusting, interjecting those three things, style, creativity, and soul, while still keeping whatever format my client wants to maintain their brand and, and you know, push their image forward. So it's a lot of, a, I'd say, adjustment. You know, I don't want to say shape-shifting, but it's more like, uh, yeah, I can do this, but I can still like slide some of these elements that I always kind of hearken to yeah. um, for this person. I feel like that's a common thing with, with multidisciplinary folks. It's like, we know that we can do a lot of different things. And sometimes the client is aware of that. And sometimes they just want the one thing that they want. But like, it is a lot of adjusting to try to make sure you're fitting in with the scope of the project, you know, their involvement in terms of how things are going. Like it is a lot of, it's a constant adjustment, I find. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I don't know, I think by nature, just based off of my travels, even as a child, I've always been very adaptable, but I've always tried to stick to a certain thing that, okay, well, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do it this way. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made me a rebel. You know, when I say that, I mean, like, yeah, I'll follow the rules, but up to a certain point that I'm just going to just do it this other way because I think it's more efficient. You know, I kind of relate that to working with clients and, and just adapting. And yeah, I hear what you're saying. I know you want the logo with the money, the dollar signs raining and all of that, but <laughs> maybe we can simplify it a little bit. Here, let me show you this. You know, yeah. so I found using examples of other brands within that person's market helps kind of dial those things in. For me, to, to, so I don't have to like really have too much conflict. How do you handle kind of the business side of everything? Because the work definitely is the creative part. That's what you specialize in. But when it comes to like marketing and contracts and finance, how do you balance that with the the more creative aspects of your work? It took me a while to actually get in a find a rhythm with managing all the things, you know, outside of the art and creating but yeah, eventually I was able to figure out a way to like, say, for example, automate my booking process. Right. So I don't have to have these conversations and these email threads that just lead to dead ends. Usually if someone clicks and books, they've already made their mind that they want to book me. So that saved me so much time. I'd also say having an assistant, you know, I had a really great assistant and she moved on to greater things, but I really learned to appreciate how, you know, for one, she was really good at what she does, you know, and she actually is, is based in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So she were working virtually, but that type of communication, I'm not saying I'm a horrible communicator, but I'm um, sometimes I'm too busy out working to communicate in a timely manner <laughs> and having someone who that's what they're doing for me made it so much easier. But other than that, you know, it's just kind of trial and error. It's like, Hey, you know, I've gone through so many phases with trying this invoicing system or trying this business bank account to see, you know, that works and payment gateways and figuring out 
the most seamless, easiest way, you know, to for a customer to pay a deposit and then book it online mm-hmm. without having to have conversation after conversation after conversation. So, yeah, it's been a journey. It's definitely been a journey, but I've been able to figure it out just based off of trial and error and kind of doing what works, but also evolving, being open to evolve. There's a few things I want to add into the mix this year. Definitely want to, you know, get someone to do like the actual books, you know, and have an accountant or someone who I can contract to have to do the accounting because I'm pretty much doing it up, doing all of that myself as well. So Mm. now outside of that, being in the in the arts and being self-employed, that's a lot to balance, I think, particularly with just the way that our attention economy kind of works. What are some of the like biggest challenges that you've had to face, like staying independent and doing this for as long as you have? Dealing with the economy, I think managing be sustainable, which is like every business during economic downturns, right? And that was another challenge. I'd say, yeah, just dealing with the ebb and flow. My business is a cash flow based business, and most businesses that that. But fortunately, I don't have much overhead, so that mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier. I'm not producing a physical product that requires me to buy inventory and surplus. So that in itself has really help me manage the challenges of an economic downturn and keeping clients, right? And being able to have clients who just keep coming back. And some of my best clients are those repeat clients. But ultimately, also oversaturation, you know, oversaturation. When I started doing photography professionally, there were, you know, just maybe a handful of really, really great photographers in my area who I looked upon as like for inspiration. And I saw they had things established. They were doing, you know, they did great work. Fast forward to now, it's like you can just close your eyes and point your finger one direction and you're probably pointing at a photographer. You know what I mean? So (laughs) staying relevant, being open to new ideas is kind of like, you know, like a lot of artists. I think specifically more with musicians and, you know, like kind of like trying to grow their art and their craft while still maintaining that voice that put them on in the first place. So for me, yeah, I don't want to look at it as like competition. However, it is somewhat of a competition. This is a free market, you know? So if I want to be competitive in this market, I have to pay attention to what other people who are 20 years younger than me are doing, Yeah, you know? And if I have a client and suddenly I see my client shooting with this 27 year old, I'm like, Oh, okay, great. Yay. Uh, (laughs) But also I'm like, huh, how'd that happen? Yeah. You know, what do I need to do to where I can keep this particular client or clients, you know? So, yeah, it's it's a few challenges. Yeah. I know when I was like actively having clients and and doing client work, one of the biggest challenges, aside from what you mentioned, is just making sure that they still keep you sort of top of mind with what they do. Because I think, you know, like you said, there's just oversaturation sometimes in the market and there's a number of different people that folks could choose from to do kind of the same work. And so I I think it's really important also to just have those relationships, like the relationship building part is so important with so many other people out there, because the benefit I think that that we have, you know, you and I and probably others of our of our age group is being able to build those relationships as opposed to kind of just putting out whatever the newest, hottest, latest, fastest tool or product is that can get the job done. Like at the end of the day, it's, it's about relationships. You know, you mentioned one of your clients or one of the clients you've had has been like a a mayoral candidate. I did a, a mayoral race back in 2009. Yeah. 2009. The person didn't win. The candidate didn't win, but like she ended up working then for a nonprofit organization. And I had that organization on retainer for like five or six years and then like every place that she ended up going i kind of followed her in some aspect in terms of like oh yeah i could do this work i could do this work or just keeping top of mind so they know oh well i know someone who could use you so like then that relationship building really comes into play because your name gets mentioned in rooms and other places that you're not necessarily available exactly exactly and yeah i I think i've been definitely been fortunate to have had several of those types of clients, you know, where it, we, like I'm talking about like 10, you mentioned the foreign exchange. It's almost like 10 years we've been working together. And then, you know, of course, with Nicolay individually and with Fonte individually, it's been like I've been their, their go-to guy, you know, and I appreciate that. You know, I have some clients who, once again, are in, in the political scene and, and some musicians who like 
there's no question they will call me and I don't take that for granted. But mm-hmm. also it's because we can sit down and kick it after we do a long shoot. We go grab some food. Yeah. We have a couple of beers and we yeah. kick it for a little while and just decompress and catch up. I value that because to me, that's that's connection. And for me, especially when it comes to like doing portrait work and photographing people, it's important that I establish that rapport, which could potentially lead to, you know, a cool relationship and friendship. But I can't get a good picture of someone if we're doing a session, if we haven't had a conversation and kind of face to face. And that way we can kind of feel each other out. Mm-hmm. I can see where I need to go, how I need to handle this particular photo shoot. Yeah, I've been able to, like I say, make some really great, great friends because of that relationship aspect that you mentioned. Yeah. Like I just started back doing, you know, some client work through my studio now. And one thing I've been doing is going back through my old contact list of clients. It just said, and like the, the first of the year, best time to do it. Best yeah, time to yeah. restart in a dormant relationship or a dormant like form of communication. Just like hit them up like happy new year. How are things going? This is what I'm doing. Cause people just kind of have that energy at the top of the year to want to, do something new, try something new. So it's it's a good time now to to make those relationships happen or to try to at least begin to forge them. Absolutely. Yeah, I just um just before the uh, before the, I think probably before Christmas, I um sent out some test newsletters with some things just to kind of see, you know, once again updating that client list and and seeing, you know, do I need to remove or add some things and change and seeing the response and looking at the numbers. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you nailed it, man. Definitely going to be doing the same this year. I want to get more into your work and and some of the clients that you work with. Of course, you mentioned foreign exchange, which we'll talk about later. But I want to hear more about your origin story. Like, I know you're you're in North Carolina now. Is that where you're from? Is that where you grew up? No, I actually grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, okay. Tell me about that. Spent my formative years in Brooklyn, but also going back and forth between Brooklyn and Jamaica. We usually go every summer or every other summer, and Brooklyn is a melting pot of West Indian and Caribbean culture anyway. So yeah, growing up in New York was such a great experience. for me. I think I tell people I grew up, I think in like during the best era to grow up, which was like the late seventies going into the Mm eighties, because once again, like I had literally would have had an Irish neighbor across the street. Their neighbor was Italian, who was my first babysitter. They had a Puerto Rican family on the corner. You know, we had the Haitian family right there. You had my family, which was of mixed ethnicity. You had uh, people from Aruba, people from Barbados. It was like such a melting pot of culture. Mm-hmm. So I was exposed to a lot of different languages and a lot of different foods and energies. And um, thankfully, my parents and I, we traveled. You know, we'd get on a plane and go somewhere, go to L.A., go to Jamaica, go. And my dad had family in Pennsylvania, so we'd be in the mountains. Just being in that type of environment or those types of environments where I'm surrounded by so many different things, it influenced me, you know, and yeah. um, grew up in a very musical household and very artistic household. And I, I played guitar, took formal guitar lessons uh, for years. And my household was the type of household that always had music playing, be it mm-hmm. jazz or reggae music. So, yeah, you know, my parents loved to dance. They would be doing the New Year's Eve party at, the, at our Puerto Rican friend's home, and they'd be dancing salsa all night. You know, <laughs> so I, I just, I, I just love music and culture. So I couldn't help but be influenced by all of that growing up during yeah. that time in New York. So yeah, you know, went to high school, did that, played football in high school actually. So I wound up um, going to college initially at a uh, Kentucky Wesleyan College with a partial scholarship to play football. And that was a disaster because that was my kind of first time away from home being in Kentucky, you know, as a mm-hmm. New York dude was kind of different for me. I made it through football camp and I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling this. And I, I went back home. Yeah. So I had to regroup and, you know, my parents were looking at me like, okay, so what are we going to do? You can't just be laying around here. You know what I mean? You got to do something. So I said, okay, yeah. so always loved architecture, always loved art. And like clean lines and drafting. I took drafting in high school. So I pursued a degree in architectural engineering. Yeah, the New York Institute of Technology in Farmingdale, which is a, yeah, it's a Sony entity. And yeah, that was great. But I also have, have a military family. Mm-hmm. Um, all my uncles were in the military. My dad was a Marine. My brother was in the Army. And that's also something I always knew I wanted to do. I was a Boy Scout and I loved wearing a uniform. It was just one of those, I was one of those weird kids who just love putting on a uniform and being, you know, being fresh. So yeah, I, I did college, 
and then immediately joined the army. And wow. Yeah. So this is what, 90, uh, 93, 94. Yeah. And wound up uh, getting a job doing surveying, but it was for artillery. So I kind of got hoodwinked. I kind of got yeah you have engineering background yeah this could be a great job for you yeah but i'm sitting next to a howitzer blowing Uh up stuff you know what i mean but ultimately it was good i had a good time did a couple of overseas tours and i made made sergeant and so now i had to manage a team and that kind of taught me leadership and politics when it came to not just the military but corporate i came to find out later Mm -hmm. That's where corporate gets it from. So that makes sense. Structure, (laughs) politics of it all. Yeah, yeah. They parallel each other, you know. So anyway, I decided, you know, maybe I want to change jobs. So in the military, they have what you can do is is, is reclassifying. So I reclassified as a communication specialist. Okay. And, you know, more specifically, a network switchboard engineer. So like an internet guy, basically. And that was great because it basically helped me transition out of the military Eventually, you know, with those same skill sets, and I was able to apply them. But okay. meanwhile, I was also a paratrooper, so I was jumping out of airplanes and went to jump master school. So I was jump master qualified. I was aerosol qualified. So I was repelling out of helicopters, jumping out of airplanes, doing all the cool stuff, even though I had these technical jobs, mm-hmm. because I was kind of that guy who just wanted to do the hard stuff as much as possible while I still had the leg, the young legs. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Eventually, you know, 2003 after my last deployment in Iraq. Well, 2004 is when I began. I came back, I think April, and put in my paperwork to get out of the military because I just felt it was time. Yeah. I had a young, my daughter was very young at the time. She's 21 now, but I just didn't want to be away from her and missing her growth and potentially not being able to see her again. You know, not making it back from a deployment is very real. Yeah. Especially, especially right around that time in the like early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 2003, 2004, maybe going to 2005, six was a rough one because, yeah, the, the, the warfare over there with the IEDs, and it was really bad at one point. And I was there yeah. for that, you know, when you just, you, you never knew if you weren't going to get blown up in a convoy at some point. Wow. Um, and that hit me. That was real. That was real to me. Yeah, I said, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I think um, I'm a smart guy. I think I'll be able to figure something out, especially with the skill sets that I gained in the military. And uh, that's what I did. So I got out of the military in November 2004 and haven't looked back since. You know, I transitioned almost immediately into an IT job, a corporate IT job. Okay. And uh, that was great. I did that for about five years. And then, yeah, almost five years. And then 2009 to 2008, the bubble burst Mm -hmm. and the economy tanked and I wound up getting laid off. So here I am. I had a corporate job, great benefits, great pay, and now I got laid off. Mm-hmm. Never happened to me before. I didn't know what that felt like, and it was horrible. Being called into the operation manager's office with all of us who got laid off, it wasn't just myself. You know, walking back to your desk and you see all your stuff packed up in a box on the table with a security guy waiting to walk you out. That's wow. Cool. It was embarrassing. It, it was, you feel powerless. Yeah. You know, you just feel like, like wow, that's what we're doing. Wound up getting laid off and I had to really, really, you know, sit on it for a minute. And then I realized that was the universe kind of pushing me in the direction of becoming an artist full time. Now, keep in mind, when I was working at this particular company, I became good friends with the art director there. And Mm -hmm. he knew I was kind of dabbling in photography and he invited me to drive to Boston to shoot a wedding because I guess he'd seen some of the work I was doing just for free and and he thought I had an eye. So he took me and that was the first paid gig I ever had as a photographer shooting that wedding. And that's when also the light bulb, the light bulb clicked, was kind of already getting over the job. It was very stressful as far as just the IT and networking, dealing with clients, having to take the blame for other people's mistakes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so when he says, hey, man, I'm going to cut you a check for $1,500. I'm just drive to Boston in my Audi. I was like, oh. Shit. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. And, and I was like, hey, maybe I can just keep doing this. Yeah. And then a few months later, I wound up getting laid off. So I think it was it was all serendipitous how it happened. Even though I wasn't seeing that at the time, but it definitely helped guide me into the direction I, I kind of eventually went. Yeah. Yeah. So I took my GI Bill and and, and you know took a little bit of time off because I I did get a bit of a pension, not a pension, but a severance day. Mm-hmm. So I was able to you know survive and pay my bills, but. 
eventually enrolled back into college and wound up getting a degree in graphic design while slowly building my business and kind of getting to know the community. Nice. So that was a very big transformative time for me. So yeah, and in hindsight, like you said, it did all kind of like it worked out in the end. Something I want to just kind of touch on, like you mentioned the that time like between I would say roughly like the mid 2000s, like 2004 to like 2008, 2009. That was such a and and I can't stress this enough for designers that were not around during that time. That was such a wild time in terms of just design. I guess you could lump tech in with it, but like particularly web design, graphic design, so many things were changing in that just five year span that you were lucky if you could stay at the same place for that long because the technology was changing. The browsers were changing. The actual hardware itself was changing. The software was changing. There were so many changes that took place that like it would be hard to keep up with everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't know, for me, I think, I think what helped me was being in, in school mm-hmm, and having, mm-hmm. at, at the time I was still using Windows, for example, but we had IMAX, yeah. IMAX labs where I was able to kind of like, I was like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> you know, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, cool, cool, cool. But not only like the technology, but like, I guess you said like the design language, right? Like I said, I loved architecture. I loved clean lines. I loved a certain minimalist aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And I started noticing design shifting to that versus heavy drop shadow and beveled fonts, you know, and yeah. a lot of like overly designed things that have, and I, I attribute that to like Apple, actually. Mm-hmm. I think Apple Absolutely. Brand pretty much influenced the design world when it came to aesthetic and minimalism. Being able to tell, sell something, tell a story as cleanly, as simply as possible, and maybe using really great imagery mm-hmm. overlaid with text, right? So that whole look, like when I started seeing that and I realized that that's kind of how I, I love that. Yeah. That's what it was for me. So it made my transition fairly easy because I just wanted to stick to that aesthetic. It was just like you said, learning the technology and learning in design and illustrator and all those things. I was pretty good in Photoshop already, but those other Adobe products, they were kicking my butt for a while. But I, I think I got a handle of them now. Yeah, I remember the the macromedia stuff when it switched over to Adobe. Like I used Fireworks a lot in one of my old jobs and then Fireworks pretty much became obsolete. <laughs> you know, yeah. once, once Adobe bought Macromedia and changed a bunch of stuff over. And then there was, I was a web designer at the time. There was the whole switch from table-based layouts to CSS-based layouts, yeah. which then yeah. changed the browser because the browser then was less about just display and more of a, it became more of a canvas. It became more of somewhere you can create things just on there and not have to like transpose. Like I remember cutting up tables in Dream (laughs) Dreamweaver and exporting them over and making sure everything was right. But now you could use CSS and you could float things and create divs. And it was it was just such a big shift. It was a really seismic shift, I think, in design online during that time. And yeah, also the switch from the 90s style of design, especially with tables and things like that, because they borrowed a lot from print, to more clean lines, because it's just based on what the browser did, because the browsers then had to catch up. You know, this is after the whole, like, browser wars of the late 90s and stuff, but browsers became less about, oh, this is just a place you can view a website. It's like, no, this is a place where you can build a website. Like, there's technologies. There's like a stack in the browser where you can make things. It was just such a... I mean, I look back at that time fondly, but also in hindsight, there was a lot going on. Yeah, there was. I, I don't think for me, I wasn't aware of it at the time. I was just like, oh, okay, this is cool. Oh, this yeah. is new. Okay, yeah. cool. This is new. That's cool. Like, I even look at, like I use Photoshop a lot, you know, for example. And I look at Photoshop from back then to now mm-hmm. and how much I can do that I really couldn't do without having to download a plugin or something. And the same yeah. thing, you know, with everything in the Adobe suite. I was using Premiere for a while and I just couldn't, it just didn't jive with me. So even now, like transitioning over to DaVinci Resolve, it has been like, like my head explodes every time I use it. It's so, it's so phenomenal. You know, it, it doesn't bog down my CPU. I can, you mean, I don't have to open up a whole nother program to like, do some <laughs> what? I can do it all in here. Oh, I have right. to edit audio at the same time. Wow. This is awesome. For 300 bucks, you know, I don't have to do a subscription, a yearly subscription. <laughs> you know, I can just yeah. done with it. So I'm just really thankful for. I love technology. So I'm thankful for technology. I'm kind of a 
computer nerd. You know, I was as a kid going like backtracking real quick. I used to program, like write programs on like the old. Uh, gosh, it was like it wasn't an IBM computer. It was a Commodore. Oh, the Commodore sixty four. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely showing our age because you know that one. But yeah, I used to, you know, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd go to the library and rent and, and you know take out these coding books, and it would you'd spend three hours writing code just to make the colors on the screen change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was fascinating to me, just you know, just learning syntax. And anyway, so it helped me even in corporate. Yeah, um, when I was working in corporate, I had to uh, the company I was working for. We did a it was a uh, proprietary voice over IP network, one of the mm-hmm. first in the country. So I would have to be able to trace a call from London to California. And I, I could literally look at the numbers on the screen and see the nodes as the, the signal is, well, you know, the communication is traveling and seeing where it breaks. And that always reminded me of when I was a kid, like, wow, this looks just like I was when I was programming my Commodore 64. You know? <laughs> but yeah. I'm just nerding out a little bit on the tech, but it was a great time. Man. Yeah, it was. I mean, even visually with Flash was just everywhere. Flash mm-hmm. was such a huge component of creating experiences online. And like now in 2023, really years prior to that, I'd say probably as early as maybe 2020 or so, Flash is just a distant memory. Yeah, I had to, I, during that transitional phase when I was going to school, I actually landed a gig doing a, uh, graphic design and marketing for a local record uh, recording studio. And I had to do flash and I was like, what the hell is this? I'd never really had much experience with flash. And I thought it was kind of an antiquated technology even back then, but (laughs) they insisted on using it for their banner ads and whatever, whatever. But me being at that job was also a big turning point for me because of just where I was and then being around musicians and, kind of transitioning into like connecting with artists who needed photography and design. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was a good time. Well, let's bring it back to your studio then. So you had that sure. spark to, to start your studio then after doing that, that photography gig, you've kept it going now, you know, for 15 years and your client list is extremely impressive. Like just some of a few I'll, I'll name off here. Moleskine, which are the, the notebooks, the Italian leather notebooks, Apple music, Spike Lee, and of course, musicians, the Foreign Exchange, they are one of my absolute favorite groups. I've been a fan since Connected. I've been such a fan. This is complete fanboy moment at this point. Yeah, How did you yeah. get involved with them? Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. So back in late 2009, I was kind of slowly making a name for myself as a photographer. I'm a music nerd. So, and I was having to date someone. At the time, I was dating someone at the time who knew Fonte. Okay. Actually, I think they dated years before she and I met. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but I'm also, on, I was also on, I don't know if you remember the OK Player. Uh, oh, yeah. I remember them. Yeah. 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 I was on, I was an OK Player. And we would, and I'd go into the, what do they call it? The rooms or whatever, the chat rooms, I guess. And mm-hmm. yeah, just like nerd out on music. And at the time, I mean, that's pretty much how the foreign exchange met on OK Player. And they recorded their whole album by just sending tracks and, and vocals across the ocean because Nicolay was in the Netherlands at the time mm-hmm. living there. So anyway, so it was cool being able to connect with these artists like Little Brother and, and Quest Love and kind of just being involved in conversations and cast are having about music. And the person I was dating at the time would randomly post my photography into the forums like, hey, you know, my boyfriend did this picture, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And apparently Fonte was paying attention. So one winter, like I said, I think late 2009, we went to a gig. It was a Red Bull event, and it was a battle of the bands featuring the Foreign Exchange and a punk rock band. And it was brilliant because what they had to do was uh, play each other's music and interpret it however they saw fit based off of the genre, right? So it was cool hearing the Foreign Exchange's band, which was amazing playing, you know, these compositions that the punk rock band made and then vice versa. You know what I mean? Really good time. You know, of course, I brought my camera, took some really cool photos of the bands. And then as we were leaving, I hear someone calling me. Mm-hmm. And it's Fonte. He and I had never met, but he's like, hey, man, you Chris? Chris Charles? I saw some of you out there. You know, we got, new, <laughs> we got a new album coming out, man. I was like, word? Okay. Hit me up, man. And that was it. Mm-hmm. That, that was the beginning of that relationship. You know, I just love the process. So I worked with uh, almost all the artists 
under the uh, not just the foreign exchange, but their record label. You know, oh, wow. so um, median when it, when he was uh, on the label worked just finished working with uh, well last year last summer uh, be my fiasco who uh, is uh, Fonte's pro- uh, protege musically and yeah pretty much have done every project after leave it all behind wow so all the, the photography the design I think the first one was love and flying colors that was the one and uh, yeah just did all the, the pre-flight the layout the photography excuse me and then yeah all the way up to their last one. So it's been a great journey with those guys. And, you know, we just did a photo shoot a few months ago, actually, you know, because they have some things that they're going to be doing here. So mm-hmm. it was good reconnecting with those guys again. But yeah, it, it was just once again, those types of circumstances that the relationship building aspect of it is what's, is what's important. And we've always had a great relationship, really great guys. So yeah, those guys are cool. I'm trying to think how I first found out. I think I found out about foreign exchange either through, it was one of two ways. One, there's a music store here in Atlanta called Moods Music. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 Daryl. Yeah, yeah. That's spot, yeah, that's the spot. That's the spot. I'm gatekeeping a little bit. Not until the whole world on the podcast. But that's, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> that's the spot, though. That's the hot music spot in Atlanta. But I either found out about them. It was either through there or through this website that a friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine founded called Soul Bounce. I can't I remember if it was yeah. through one of the two. It was one of those two that I remember first hearing about it. Cause like I said, I've been listening. I've been a fan since connected. I mean, leave it all behind still gets rotation in this house mm-hmm. to this day. House of cards. Oh my God. It's still yeah. love, love that group. And even all the other stuff that, that Fonte did, like I know Fonte and Zoe did this like eighties, like cover album. That yeah, was really yeah, good. Yeah. It, it, it was a uh, Percy Miracle, and I forget the other name, but yeah, and Fonte had a Jerry Curl wig. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah, they did. They did Stepping Out. They did Africa from Toto. Yeah, that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, those guys are so talented, man. I mean, even now with uh, what's that show? I know Zoe and Fonte have been writing a lot for this new uh, kind of a musical skit comedy show. Oh, is it a uh, Sherman Showcase? Sherman Showcase, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then, you know, of course, I, I designed, uh, what, I designed the Eric Robeson Fonte record, Tigolero. I did the um, Fonte's last singles, any, like, any visuals that came out pretty much revolving around the Foreign Exchange or Nicolay's or Fonte's individual mm-hmm. projects. I also had the privilege of working on. So, such a good time, man. Oh, man. I, I just, I think of all that. You mentioned Eric Robeson, and I'm not, now I'm thinking of all the, like, soul music that was also just kind of in and around during that time that was such a when i, when I think on that time that was like late 2000s early 2010s that was such for me that was just such a, a pivotal time i think i was just turning 30 right around then too i was like oh man such good music and that's so cool that you were just a part of all of that and you get to work on it all like yeah and do all that it's stuff like still surreal you know it's still surreal you know whatever i see you know just see like when President Obama had like a one of their songs on his yearly playlist, I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm, looking at a, I'm looking at a photograph and design I did, and it, you know, now President Obama saw that. I mean, that's yeah, cool. it's cool. Can you give me a, a sneak peek on whether or not they have a new album coming out? I'm sworn to secrecy. Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just say we did. A, we, you, know, you mentioned a photo shoot. shoot. I thought I would ask. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's, that's Sorry, that's all I can say. But uh, yeah, stay tuned, man. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and you know, we're we're talking about, I mean, foreign exchange and, and Fonte too. But Nicolay is super oh. talented as a producer. Yeah. I have some of his solo albums too. Like one of them, yeah. uh, I think I forget what it's called. Something with Shibuya in it. I'm I'm not remembering. No, no, no. Yeah, the City Lights, City, City Lights Volume Light. Two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's one of my favorite favorite. Just like chill out albums. Mm-hmm. one of the songs yeah, on there is i forget the i have to go back and, and remember the name because i i know the song when i hear it i can't necessarily think of the name of it but it's like some song i forget it's, it's like i don't know i call it like my getting home from the club song like if you like when you get home super late and the sun's about to rise it's like that oh, kind of song yeah, yeah, yeah. i forget the name of it but but they're all super talented that whole clique is super talented yeah and super nice i mean whenever i get get to catch up with with uh, Nicolay, I mean, just the guys are really, really smart. Like he has a degree in musicology. You know, mm-hmm. he's not just like self-taught. He's really formally trained, but also humble and tall as hell. Guys like seven feet tall. <laughs> 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 he, he, he's, he's like about six foot seven. He's huge. 
Mm-hmm. Talk, but just the nicest guy. Same thing with Fonte. The guys are always gracious whenever we uh, we connect. What's another one I did? I did not the Shibuya one. I did uh, the city line. I did the next one, the one. Uh, uh, Soweto. Yes, I did the, uh, the graphics for that one as well, as well as nice. for all the things. So, yeah, nice. I've been lucky, man. I've been lucky. What do you do to kind of stay motivated and productive with your work? I'm just constantly evolving, actually, as far as what I do. For me, you know, sometimes it's just uh, if I'm editing like photos, I run into like a creative block with where to go with a certain edit. I'll put it down and I'll step away and, and, and indulge in another medium, be it a, you know, a short film or looking at some, uh, some, some art books that I have. But uh, I know for me, staying inspired revolves around kind of exploring the balance between what's in my head and what I see that catches my eye out in the world. And also music. You know, a lot of my photography and design, I mean, it's, it, I feel it's so connected to, to musical energy. And at least to me, <laughs> like I always like to think of a song whenever I present a certain edit or if I do a print. So for me, sometimes I'll be inspired by music or if I'm producing music and coming up with a theme and a rhythm and I'll start to see colors and I'll start to say, oh, okay, maybe I think that's red. And I go back to the edit and it's like, yeah, yeah, and I add that touch of red to it, you know? So it varies, but mostly I'd say, you know, music and like using contrasting mediums to kind of offset each other. So if I'm doing design, I'll stop and do some photography or look at photography. If I'm doing photography, I'll listen to music. You know, it's weird. Like I kind of traverse these different mediums when I need inspiration from something else from another mm-hmm. place. So yeah, that's one of the ways I, I, I use medium. How would you say your artistic style has evolved over the years? When I first started doing photography, especially when I was in design school, I was using a lot. I was implementing design elements within my photography a lot. And it was just, you know, how I saw things. I, I would do a portrait and find a creative way to add text to it or add texture to it using, you know, overlays. I think as I've evolved as an artist, I think my style has somewhat been, has, you know, it's gotten a lot simpler. So I've simplified it. I've been able, been able to kind of deconstruct it in a way that there might be some texture or I'll just use a textured backdrop or a textured setting versus actually adding the texture in post. And also, yeah, just kind of continuing to try to master lighting and the technical aspects of photography and then getting into filmmaking, you know, and learning that technology and learning how to edit. And just kind of being like a one-stop shop, you know, because I just love all those mediums. So why not learn how to do them? And then eventually, you know, that became another aspect of my business, you know. So I think expanding, you know, going from this photography to design and photography to dabbling in web design and then, oh, short films. And then, you know, then doing promo spots for clients and doing commercials for schools and things of that nature. So, yeah, learning new technology is pretty much how my, um, I think I've evolved over the years, specifically. Overall, is there like a piece of art or a specific project or something that you've done that you're like particularly proud of, like the crown jewel in your portfolio or something like that? There are a couple, actually. I think most recently I got commissioned by a really amazing local candle making company, Black Owned, to uh, design a signature candle, a candle to be distributed through the NBA, the NBA 75th anniversary candle series. and. Yeah, they gave me full autonomy to to design it within the specs of the candle. And with that, they, they, I was given access to seeing what the candle kind of smelled like and, and taking hints from the notes of the candle and then implementing that into the design. That, to me, was like very exciting, very exciting. Um, and to be for that to be you know connected to the NBA was just like mind blowing. I'd say another one is probably the Spike Lee project that, you know, between it was a joint project between Spike Lee and Moleskin where they were doing these She's Gotta Have It books, Moleskin books. So that's where that connection happened. But yeah, oh. Was able to connect with Spike Lee and his team and come up with, a, I had to shoot a short film of a local artist, a, a black woman artist who, who embodied the whole image, the, the vibe of yeah. uh, Nola, Nola Darling. Nola Darling, yeah. Yeah. It was cool because Spike Lee, huge inspiration for me. You know, my, one of my favorite movies is damn near all of them, <laughs> you know, uh, but I say from an aesthetic standpoint, you know, the moment mm-hmm. of blues, you know, the way he used colors and contrasting colors to kind of, to, to, to point out personality differences and music and jazz. I think another fun time was shooting Martin Lawrence's daughter's graduation. 
<laughs> party. And that was interesting and totally random. One of actually it so happened that his daughter, her hairdresser was my client. And okay. They needed a photographer and she graduated from Duke University and, and I never forget this. This was Mother's Day. Mother's Day a few years ago. And I remember going to dinner, I mean, going to brunch with my mom and then having to leave and drive to Duke University to the their private banquet thing, golf club. And I'm looking at Martin Lawrence and his family. Yeah. Oh, and Emmett Smith, because they're all connected. You know, Emmett Smith, who's one of my favorite running backs of all times for the NFL, is uh Martin's ex-wife new husband. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So I'm looking at Martin Lawrence and his family, the kids, Emmett Smith, and I'm just there to take pictures. And you're paying me to do this. Are you kidding me? It's like that's like <laughs> living the dream, you know? So yeah, I've I've had some really amazing Gosh, I don't know. I, I mean, like I said, when I think about it, it's times like these, and I'm thankful for you to you know, for these great questions because it really makes me think about, like, for one, like, if there was any time where I didn't, or if any people didn't, like, respect the craft of image making, be it photography or design, and, and the times that I've doubted it as well, like, ah, people don't take this stuff seriously. But then one day I'm in Venice, Italy, because I was commissioned to be there by a client, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's like, wow. I said that, but I'm actually overseas right now, and my whole job is to just be cool and take fly pictures. Are you, like, what more? <laughs> you know, so yeah, I've had a few instances of really amazing experiences and being in rooms and work and opportunities. So yeah, I have a few. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I just can't pick one. I mean, I think once again, all of that really speaks to the power of of relationships. Yes. yes it, it really speaks to being able to know who not just know who certain people are, but to maintain those relationships enough where people are like advocates or sponsors for you in places where, where you're not available. I mean, even especially with what you just mentioned with like shooting Martin Lawrence's daughter's graduation, like (laughs) you said, her hairdresser is one of your clients. And so that's how that all happened. Like they could have picked any photographer, like Martin's a celebrity. They could have picked any photographer, you know, funny about that. She just called me randomly and she was like, Hey, I got a gig for you. Just say yes. Yeah. Like, what? You know, she wouldn't tell me who it was uh-huh. until like, like the day before. She was like, "Oh, by the way, this is uh yeah, this is the Lawrence family, the Smith family." Like Lawrence, who? I'm like, oh my god! I was like, "Oh, okay." okay. Yeah. Yeah. Relationships, man. knowing people and doing good work and just treating them well, man. And the Spike Lee Moleskin, I have the Spike Lee Moleskin. It's still in the plastic. I refuse to open it. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely a collector's item. Definitely a collector's item. I mean, I've had a few people on the show that have done work with Spike, either presently or in the past and stuff. It's it's amazing how he pulls in other black designers to work on his projects, whether it's like Art Sims doing projects, whether it's you on this notebook project. I think most recently he did some work with uh, this black typographer I had on the show, Trey Seals, for his book, like design the font for the book and everything like Spike is really good about pulling in other black creatives into his work, which I really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I honestly believe I think that's just it should be like that. You know, it's always great to see and I always appreciate it. But I mean, how else are we going to continue to spread and, and learn about each other's talents without actually giving each other shots? And, and, oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And opportunity. You know, I'm just yeah, I love to see it. Love yeah. To see it. What advice do you have for like aspiring creative directors or or artists out there, particularly those that want to be self-employed like you are and be able to kind of like forge their own path? Yeah, I would say I say do your homework. And when I say that, I mean, it's great to go out with passion and, you know, present it, but you have to have a plan. And that could be, you know, do you want to be a generalist? Do you want to, this could be applied to a couple of different mediums, of course, but yeah, do I want to be a specialist? Do I want to be a generalist? And I've gone back and forth between that as well. For me, it's about being also uh, like diversifying, right? Like I don't just solely rely on photography or I don't just solely rely on, you know, consulting or design or filmmaking. You know, it's, it's about building a brand based on those three words. Like I said, style, creativity, and soul. And thinking about how you want your clients to feel when they work with you and after they're done working with you and will that make them want to work with you again? So it's like a lot of soft skill stuff. I mean, yeah, of course, being technically skilled and talented, those are all great things, but 
people don't like you, you're not going to go very far. Mm-hmm. So I think learning how to maintain or establish and maintain relationships with people who align with the vision that you want to sell your artwork to, present your work to, and being able to, you know, manage that and navigate that and be in spaces and present yourself well. I think that's really important. And then also, of course, the more technical stuff about managing a business, you know, establishing an LLC, uh, your contracts, delivering, over-delivering at times, under-promising, you know, versus the vice versa, because people will call you on it. Mm-hmm. You said you were going to get 30 pictures, you only deliver 29. I'm like, oh, okay, gotcha. But if I say I'm delivering 15 and I deliver 30, guess what? Now I'm a rock star, you know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of creatives, you know, take that for granted. And I also understand that it's, you know, there's time and money involved with creating and, you know, running a business. So be mindful of that. You know, don't kill yourself. Rest. <laughs> take your time to, to, to step away from it and reevaluate, reassess, learn, and then um, ask for mentorship from people who are already doing it that are in the game. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Like, what kind of work do you want to be doing, like future stuff or, or continuation of what you're currently on? What, where do you see yourself? Yeah, ultimately, you know, five years. It's funny because I've been actually writing out my 10-year plan. And in the next five years, a couple of things. I definitely want to have a new physical space to run a shop and have a team, you know, a dedicated team on payroll to where I can manage and be like lead creative or principal. For, for projects that are being done by people that, that are working for me. But also, yeah, I have a really, pa- I have a big passion for veterans affairs. So I've been, you know, researching ways that I can somehow participate in helping veterans, be it they transitioning or trying to find their way out in the workforce if they're trying to start a business. There are so many benefits out there available to veterans who they don't know they, they, they're there and they're just out here flapping and trying to work, but also might have some disabilities or issues that their workplace or workplaces are like required to accommodate, right? So yeah, that's a huge passion of mine, you know, honestly, being helping veterans, especially veterans of color transition and live good lives after having lived some potentially really, lived through some really potentially horrible situation because of war. Yeah. But yeah, having a shop and helping veterans. Well, just to, you know, kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you, your work and everything? Where can they find that online? Sure. The, uh, so my main website is chrischarles.co. That's chrischarles.co, not .com. <laughs> uh, the person who owns that domain name has refuses to give it up. Um, so <laughs> I'm stuck with the .co, and that's no problem. That's fine. So that has, you know, pretty much leads you to all of the other work that I do. I have a separate photography website, which you can also find once you go to chrischarles.co. But for people who are specifically interested in photography, it's my full name, ChristopherCharlesPhotography.com. I have a Facebook business page. It's Chris Charles Photo. My Instagram handle is the underscore Chris Charles. So the underscore symbol Chris Charles. Those are the main places to find me. I'm there. All right. Sounds good. Well, Chris Charles, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I think certainly everything that you have talked about speaks to two key things that I think folks should kind of take in mind, particularly as we go into the new year. One is about being adaptable. And the second is about building relationships. I think everything that you've described about your career to date has been a testament to both of those abilities. And you've been able to craft and use both of those to be able to build a career for yourself, build a life for yourself and continue to do great work out there in the community. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, man. This is really fun. Enjoy, enjoy talking with you, Maurice. And yeah, anything you need from me, just let me know. Big, big thanks to Chris Charles. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Chris and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is sponsored by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With best-in-class customer service, free Whois privacy, and more, Hover is there to help you bring your online dreams to life. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase.
Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio located in Atlanta, Georgia. Our executive producer is Maurice Cherry, and our editor and audio engineer is RJ Basilio. Intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are courtesy of Brevity and Wit. If you like this episode, let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Just look for Revision Path, all one word. Or you could follow us on Spotify or Amazon Music or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We love, love, love to read those. And if you really want to show your support for Revision Path, you should pick up some of our merch. Uh, You can get a nice t-shirt. You can get an embroidered hoodie. We've got a notebook. We've got a coffee mug. We're working on actually revamping our merch this year for our 10th anniversary. So if you want to cop some really great limited edition stuff, make sure you check out our merch store. We even have stickers. Just go to revisionpath.com, click on merch at the top of the page, or tap the link in the show notes. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.